Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, one and all. We are here again for another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. Today, my co-host Stephen Feldman and I will be discussing how our very first GeoMob Online went. Um, so we held our first event on the 7th of April. It was a bit of an adventure. So we're going to share some of the details of how we found the event and also some of the behind the scenes challenges that we faced. Stephen, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Ed. Really good. Lovely sunny day here in London and uh, looking forward to recapping on what was a great first GeoMob Live. What about you? doing okay but we're now in week i guess week five of quarantine and you know it's starting to starting to feel the effects it would be also the quarantine here in spain is a bit more strict i guess than what you guys have in the uk or or in many other countries in that we're not supposed to go outside at all so we can't go for walks we can't go for a bike ride so you know that's that's a bit rough and not least because i have two two young children so yeah you know it's a struggle So locking yourself in the spare room for three quarters of an hour to record a podcast is a little bit of therapy. Exactly, exactly. And indeed, so was GeoMob Online. So I guess yeah. I guess let's let's recap a bit by setting the scene. So yeah, we were supposed to have two GeoMobs in March, one in London at the middle of March, and then one in Munich towards the end of March. And of course, obviously, both had to be canceled, which was very frustrating. Particularly frustrating for me was the GeoMob Munich being canceled because it was going to be my, I was going to speak at that event. And it was going to be my first time attending GeoMob Munich. And so I didn't get to go, obviously didn't get to speak. So then we thought, well, why maybe we should try to do an online event. And so luckily we were able to get, I think we had six speakers. Um, so I want to say a big yeah. thanks to the speakers who, who did the experiment with us, four of whom were from the London GeoMob. And then we had two from the, the Munich GeoMob. And so I guess if there's one silver lining to the whole problem, it's that the two different, I enjoyed the fact that the two different communities came together. And actually, amongst the attendees, we had people from London, we had people from Munich, we had people from Barcelona, but we also had people who, you know, who wrote and said uh, this was great because they never are able to physically make it to a GeoMob. So, so I guess that's one one positive aspect of the whole thing. I think that was a massive positive. I think you're understating it. You know, it was you know there were people from from at least three communities there. There were people who can't get to the event. You know, this is big. Big deal, you know. I mean, particularly at the moment, you know, when everybody's shut down and sort of craving a bit of community and a bit of entertainment, a GeoMob Online provided both of those things for a couple of hours one evening. You know, I, I think it was a great achievement, you know, and we should let's look at what we achieved, what we did, what we can do better, and start thinking about how we go on to the next one. That's right, because the next one is actually already scheduled. So that will be on the 6th of May. Everyone should please please try to join us. However, that is contingent on I need to find a few more speakers. So we have two people who have volunteered so far, and I'd like to have at least two more, ideally maybe three or four more. So yeah, if when this goes live, if you hear this podcast and you'd like to speak, please get in touch. Stephen, what was your overall impression of the event? How'd you find it? it? Okay, so let's start by just talking about the tech. Well, the technology worked pretty damn well you know i mean there are a few glitches and we'll get into it but it worked pretty well you know 50 attendees it seemed it it was very effective i think there's stuff we can learn but you know there was a sense of you know the speakers were good they were clear 
They had their slide decks came up and worked perfectly. You know, all of that stuff worked well. Look, at the end of the day, sitting for an hour and a half and listening to six speakers with their slides with very limited interaction is not the same as being at a live GMOP. You know, yeah, absolutely not. The jokes don't work the same way across the internet. The questions, you know, and we'll get to how we handle the questions, but it's not the same. You know, and I think we can, you know, one of the things that maybe we'll talk about later is what could we do to go a little bit further to recreate the experience of being at a live event? Um, is there any way that we can do that? But overall, I thought it was brilliant. You know, I thought there were some great speakers. I think what one thing that came up that occurs to me from from that last year, Mob, was that there were one or two really outstanding speakers. I'm not going to call out the individual speakers and then say that others weren't outstanding, but there were one or two who were outstanding and who I was absolutely captivated by what they were saying, by their slides and everything. And there were one or two who were less so. And it was much more difficult to keep my attention focused on them when they were either less entertaining speakers or their material was less interesting. But the reality for me is that that's no different to being at a live, live geomob. You know, often when we go to a, when I go to a geomob, there are one or two speakers where I just cannot, I don't get what they're talking about. I'm not interested in what they're talking about or they're not particularly good speakers. And, you know, I might lose focus in a live event as well. So I think that's, that would be my feedback. I agree. In that regard, it's no different than the actual event because, you know, we try to get a very good diversity of speakers. And actually, I think this time we had a good diversity. And by the very nature of that, some of the things you're going to be very interested in, some things, you know, might be new to you and you get interested, but some things perhaps you're less interested. Yeah. I do think it, it does create a real challenge for the speakers. It's It's difficult, first of all, to get up and talk in front of an audience under all circumstances, but doing it in the format where you're just kind of talking into your screen and you don't, you're not able to see the visual feedback, you know, of the audience, it really makes it probably more challenging for the speakers. So again, big thanks to them for, for running with this experiment and, and trying it. And I thought, as you said, some of them did, did a great job. So. And I think, I think you make a really good point there, Ed, about when you're speaking to a live audience, you get visual cues from your audience. You know whether your humor, your slot is working. You know whether people's attention is wandering. You know, if, if you're an experienced speaker, you can read your audience and you can take cues from them. You just can't do that when you're talking in an online event. Even if you've got a screen up which is showing you the little pictures of the speakers, it's, it's not the same. And, yeah, uh, it's not the same. You're yeah. absolute, there's, you know, all credit to the speakers. You know, I called, I asked people to send me their feedback, both at the event and via Twitter and stuff like that. And one person actually gave me a very interesting bit of feedback. He said one of the things he missed most is that there was no way to applaud after the talks, you know, right. because we had, because we every, we had with a hundred attendees or however, but we had 50 attendees, but you know, we had everything, everyone muted except for the actual speaker. So as a result, it, there's no way for the to give feedback in that regard in terms of applauding or. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure how we solve that. I guess well, we should maybe talk about. Um, well, go ahead. One thing we could do is at the end of each talk, take the questions 
And then before we introduce the next speaker, just for a second, unmute everybody and say, let's let's show our appreciation for the speaker and everybody could clap. It would be a bit chaotic, but it at least would give people the chance to applaud. Yeah, maybe we should try that next time. I guess yeah. we should set the context. So in terms of the software that we use, we use Zoom, which I guess has been one of the big winners of the uh, the crisis and the work at home revolution in that more and more people are jumping on Zoom and it, and it worked well, but because it's become so popular in the, the week leading up to the GeoMob Online, I attended a, an event on Zoom and it was Zoom bombed. So this was, I follow a guy on Twitter, he's a history professor and he's been organizing these lectures where he has every night someone, one of his friends or history professors give a lecture. And so I signed up for this event and there were 200 of us in the, the forum and the guy had just started his lecture and then all of a sudden someone came on and started drawing on the screen all kinds of offensive things and, and they had a chat window set up for the attendees so people could ask questions and you know that immediately filled up with all kinds of very offensive material and people were screaming and, and it was a real disaster actually. And, and as a result, you know, after about 30 seconds of the host trying to deal with this, he just kind of gave up and said, you know, look, everyone, sorry, we're going to have to end the event. And it was really frustrating because, you know, A, I had looked forward to the event and as had hundreds of other people. And second of all, the speaker had obviously put in a lot of time. He was going to give kind of a 45-minute lecture. And anyway, so so that all happened about a week before the GeoMob Online. And so I was very scared that we were going to have something like that happen. So I think we went with a very kind of restrictive setup you know, where we, everyone was on yeah. mute. Um, and actually, I think Zoom has now implemented many of these things by default because yes. they've had so much negative publicity around these types of things. Um, I mean, there's some horrible stories about, you know, schools and stuff being Zoom bombed, which, I mean... Yeah. And a synagogue in northwest London was holding their Friday night service and it was being broadcast on Zoom to all of the congregants in their homes. And that was attacked by people with the most disgusting stuff appearing in the chat and everything else, you know. And yeah, yeah I mean, it's been te- it's been terrible. And but I think Zoom has responded very rapidly. And actually, all of the features that you need to lock down a Zoom call are there. It's right. just that they're not they weren't on by default, and we didn't know what why we needed all of those features. I think we've learned now. And I think next time when we run the event, for example, I think if you've got a waiting room and you manage the process of people coming in from the waiting room to the to the room where the event is going on, you probably can switch the chat back on and, and try that. And certainly well, I'd like to try that. I'd like to try it as well, although I wonder how much is, how distracting it is to people. This event that I attended, before the zoo bombing occurred, there was a chat and people were chatting in it. And and it was just it was like your worst Slack channel ever because it was like, you know, so many messages were coming in and then someone would post something and then, you know, ten messages later someone would try to respond to that guy's thing. And it was just it didn't really work, frankly, in terms of having any kind of meaningful discussion and conversation. And and I found it actually quite distracting. So Okay. I don't know, you need to find the balance there. And and certainly I wouldn't want you know, the, obviously the speaker, when the when the person's speaking, there's no way they can look at the chat because it would be way too distracting. So, no. yeah, I, I'm not sure what the solution is, though. I mean, the, what we did 
people listening to us, what we did was we had the Twitter channel going sort of alongside with the hash geomob hashtag um, being used. And there was quite a bit of chat in that channel. And maybe that's a better way of doing it. It keeps it off. It doesn't pop up in the Zoom session. Most of the people joining will be on Twitter. It's just a little bit disconnected because you've got to switch from one thing to another. But maybe that's a better process. We'll see. Did you do trials with the speakers beforehand? Because they all seem pretty slick to me. Yes, I did do a trial run with each speaker just to make sure they had Zoom installed and that they, you know, could knew how to share their screen and things like that. So that that worked actually quite well, and I think it's one of the reasons that the actual event went smoothly. On the other hand, it cost a lot of time, you know. So I had to arrange calls with each speaker and then do a ten-minute trial run with each speaker. So. You know, you've got to find the balance there of how much time and effort to put in. But actually, now that I know how it works, it, it, maybe it's, it's probably worth doing. I think so. more and more people are, use, are using Zoom. It's become the probably the most popular of these video conferencing tools. And if you've done a few Zoom calls and you've shared your screen once or twice, you know how to do it. You know, I mean, if I was coming onto a onto one of those, I wouldn't need anyone to show me how to do it. Yeah. Um, so I think you might find that when we do the next one in May, you know, the first question is, have you used Zoom to present before? And if they say yes, you can say fine. And if they say no, you can then say, do you want to have a quick run through with me? And gradually, you know, if we do two or three of these, it'll get to a point where everyone's saying, don't be stupid. Of course, I know how to use Zoom. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Let's talk maybe about some of the things that could have gone better, Stephen. Um, okay. I mean, I guess I, I can start. So first of all, we, we bought a Zoom Pro account, and that allows 100 attendees. So, you know, I set up this whole sign-up list where people could sign up and say they wanted to be invited. And, and 100 people signed up, and actually we had a kind of waiting list. And then on the at the day of the event, I sent everyone the email saying, "Okay, here's the here's the Zoom event." And then in actuality, I'm not sure how many people actually showed up. Maybe it was like you know 60 or so. And so that's kind of frustrating because then there were some people who had been on the waiting list who didn't weren't able to attend, but you know because other people had said they were going to attend and then didn't attend. So I think we need to change that next time. I think next time I'll, I'll create a list and. You know, if more than 100 people sign up, we'll send everyone the email, and then it should be the first 100 who show up, get in. Yeah, so. definitely, because you're always going to, with a free event where all you've got to do is sign up and give your email address and a couple of other bits of info, you're always going to get people who sign up and then can't make it on the night. Yeah, and you know, a typical show, dropout rate might be 30 or 40%. So. Um, I reckon if we get 150 people signing up and send the link out, not all of them will answer. So, yeah, that's certainly something we should do. I've got one that we absolutely must change for the next time we do this, which is when you did the sign-up form, all you captured was, I think, an email address. Yeah. And the problem with that is when people were in Zoom, you have a waiting room. You don't go straight into the room where the meeting's going on. You you have to sit in a waiting room and be admitted by the host. And I was doing that admissions process. And it's like having a, a registration desk at an event and you go to the desk and give your name and they tick you off the list, much like we have often at our, um, our live GMOB events. But if all you've got is the email and then they log in with 
their personal name. You've got to read the, you've got to go through the emails and try and decode from an email that that person might be the person in Zoom. So I think one thing I would ask when we do the sign up next time is that people give their first name and their second name. And if they're going to sign into Zoom with a different name for any reason, they give that as well or or something like that, because that would have made it a lot faster for me running the uh, the waiting room. Yeah, definitely. So, so yeah, next time we'll we'll ask people to put a name as well. So, just a basic oversight, I guess. The other thing, then we did, we did record the uh, event, or, or well, I mean, first of all, I, oh, I made, I, yeah, I made a stupid mistake and I didn't start recording until midway through the the very first talk, which was no reflection on the talk. Sorry, it was just an oversight because there. Thousand things to keep organized. So, so yeah. If anyone did miss the event, you can you can find the videos over on the web page. Uh, they're all linked there, and they're up on YouTube. But I have to say, dealing with these videos was a big pain in the ass. You know, and partially that's because it's just not my skill set. But that was a bit of a very steep learning curve as well. In that, you know, you click record on Zoom, and it records. But what I hadn't appreciated is it creates a monster big file. So then trying to do things there, you know, like the file was too big to upload to YouTube. So then we had to find a way to chop the file up, which is also way more complicated than it should have been, which in the end I gave up. And luckily you were able to take that over. But then, you know, getting the YouTube account authorized, you know, they have all kinds of or, or validated or whatever their term is. And also verified. Was verified, yeah, was less, less, less simple than it could have been, I guess. Yeah, really. I mean, thank you very much for doing the, the editing there, Stephen, because I got so frustrated with trying different software solutions to this that, I, you know, after wasting two hours on this for something that I thought should have taken, you know, 10 minutes. I know. <laughs> and there's me sitting, sitting there going, sending you infuriating messages effectively saying, well, how difficult can this be? And of course... Yeah, eventually I I stepped in and said, oh, send the big file to me and I'll have a go. And when I had a go thinking this can't be that difficult, it was bloody difficult. And there are loads of tools out there which apparently can do this. But of course, they, they're one, they're very, they're very complicated. Two, most of them cost quite a bit of money and that's not something that we really wanted to spend money on and the trial versions are limited in some way and after you've downloaded a trial version of something to see if it will do what you want and then you try and do it and it doesn't do it it's a real hassle and but i have to tell you ed don't give up because eventually i found the solution the solution is an open source product called handbrake anybody who wants to do some simple video editing and particularly compressing and reformatting this is a brilliant tool and i already had it i just hadn't thought to use it because i use it to compress video rather than to edit it but um, actually it does the job perfectly and next time we we record a geomob online it'll take me 15 20 minutes to set up the process to split and compress all the video so from now on it'll be a doddle well, also, we learned the correct way to do it is you you click record in Zoom when the speaker starts and you click again when they stop and then it saves it as one file. And then you click, a, you know, you start a new recording for the next speaker. And as a result, then you have several smaller files instead of one ultra gargantuan yeah. file that, you know, YouTube won't accept and things like that. So, 
So we live and we learn. And of course, you know, the, the benefit of all this is now we're fully multimedia. So yeah, please go watch those videos because there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears involved in in editing. editing and one so. thing I'd say about the videos, Ed, is because you, you said to me offline when we were getting particularly frustrated by the whole process, is it even worth it? I think it really is worth it. I think one will build up an archive of all of these videos over time, which I think people will come back to and use. And the evidence for that is Phosphor-G, because at Phosphor-G for the last few years, we've been having a semi-professional team helping to record the videos and the slides and doing a very professional job of it. And all those videos get posted onto a channel where they're all stored first. So we've got, I think, the last six years of Phosphor-G, the majority of the presentations are up there. And I've questioned in the past whether the effort and the cost of doing this was worthwhile. And actually, these videos are getting hundreds and hundreds of views. Some of them are getting thousands of views. So you know, if you're trying to reach share the geomob goodness with a lot of people, this is an important way to do it. And so I think we should persevere with it. Well, I, I mean, yes, I agree. If, if professionally made video, I mean, this has always been my whole point is that the trying to record at a live event, of course, if it's done well and professionally and you have good cameras and things and a sound system, then it's great. The problem is, you know, if we do it in kind of half-assed way, which, you know, given our budgetary constraints and our, our skill level is probably the only realistic level that we're going to get to you. Then the question is, is it worth it? But that being said, I mean, I think they did turn out well enough that someone could get some, some value from the videos. So, so please dear, dear listener, go watch those videos, go watch those videos. Okay. I guess. So moving on, like my main complaint with the GeoMob online is, you know, for me, the, the talks are really only half the event. Stephen, for me, when we have a GeoMob in, in person, of course, the talks are very interesting, but um, and I often learn things from the talks, and but but they're really the conversation starter, right? And then we go to the the pub, and that's where like I find that the real exchange occurs, both amongst the other, you know, with the speakers, but also with the other participants, and that's where you meet people and you learn like, oh, you know, you hear all kinds of things of who's working on something, who's looking for a job, who's starting something new, who's hiring, all these kinds of things, and and obviously there's no we we certainly haven't succeeded in replicating that. So how could we do that in an online format, or is that just a, a dream that you know is unfulfillable? What do you think? Well, first of all, I absolutely agree with you. You know, GeoMob is not just four or five speakers speaking for 15, 20 minutes, a few questions, and we all go home. The whole point about GeoMob is that we go to the pub afterwards and we have an hour, hour and a half of chat and drink, and that's where we've built a community. And there's a real community around GeoMob. You know, there's a core of people who come almost, if not to every everyone, they come to sort of three or four three out of four of them. So there is a real community and it has real value and, and you're not going to get that stuck in front of a screen. I mean, I think we could certainly open the chat at the end of the event and leave the Zoom channel open maybe. I wonder if there's different tech that we could use. You and I are look, we're both looking at a, a different technology for running this kind of an event, which might have been more suitable for those sort of post-event conversations. So I think we need to, to look at it. I mean, at a very minimum, I think 
you could leave the Zoom channel open for half an hour or an hour afterwards and allow everybody to unmute themselves so that people could chat with each other. It wouldn't be the same as being in the pub together, but it would be better than just the abrupt close that we had. People would drift away and you just shut it down a half an hour later, go back and shut it down half an hour later. You don't even have to monitor it. Yeah, the problem, I I think it's very well intended, but once you have more than 10 people or so, it's just impossible because it's like, you know, every person who tries to talk at the same time, and then I found it madness. So I'm not sure how you, you know, because the thing is when we go to the pub, there are 50 of us at the pub, but it's not that all 50 are standing in the circle having one conversation. You break into groups of three or four and, and there are 20 simultaneous conversations. And yeah. I don't know how you they need do that a different way. You can't do that on Zoom. You can't do that on Hangouts. You can't do that on Jitsi. I, all of those, those conferencing facilities rely on one person has the mic. And if somebody speaks louder than that one person, they may take over the mic. But you can't have multiple conversations. You know, I meet up once a week, or I used to meet up once a week with a group of men from around here, and we'd meet for coffee on a Tuesday morning. And there'd be about ten or twelve of us, and we'd have a long table, and we'd split, just like you said there. You know, into there'd be three or four conversations going on. Right? Exactly. Occasionally, we'd swap and we'd move, but you know. So we've switched to doing that online, and these are, these are people who know each other really well, and they've got lots of things to say to each other, but it just doesn't work the same way because it's always one person speaking, yeah, and then another. Know. Whoever, I mean, it, obviously it's a huge usability challenge, but whoever solves that, they, they will make a fortune because, I mean, clearly every single event is now going online. And we'll have this problem of how do you how do you let people break out into smaller groups? How do you let people? And the, the magic of it is at, at a GeoMob event. It's not that you know. Sometimes I go there and think, oh, I need to talk to so and so about such and such. But you know, then the spontaneous conversations where you're just you know you're working your way through the crowd and someone says something and you're like, oh yeah, you know. And I don't know how you. I, I just don't know how you solve that. So. So. I'm sitting in on a demo this afternoon of a tech where they have it's a it's a conferencing software application and um, they've got a networking facility where you can go into micro networking sessions. I think they're one-on-one chats with another person and you can either have them pre-planned or you can have them random and that might that sort of technology might work to create a way where you could have those after-event conversations and you just chat for two or three minutes with somebody and then you get put in front of somebody else and you chat with them. And if, if you look, you're, and there's a way of exchanging details in these chats so that you can follow up with them afterwards. I'll let you know how it goes because I'm going to sit in on a demo test of it this afternoon. Well, good luck. Good luck. I'm curious. Is that because you're 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 doing this for Phosphor G or, or? Absolutely. Thanks for the prompt. Um, yeah. So we're going to run a Phosphor G UK online event. I don't know whether you heard in the last couple of days the Phosphor G Europe event have decided to postpone the event that was going to be in July to sometime next year. They haven't set a date for it, but there won't be a Phosphor G Europe this year. Mm. And so 
not just because of that, but because we've been talking about it anyway for a few weeks, we decided at the beginning of this week that we're going to have a Phosphor G UK online event, probably the end of May, maybe the beginning of June. We haven't set the date yet. The call for presentations, workshops, demos, whatever, is going to go out in the next day or so. And so I'm researching the technology that we might use to run that event because to run a day-long conference which just has people sitting in front of screens watching other people present sounds a little bit dull and sterile. So we're exploring other technologies that might enable us to have more of an interactive feel. I don't know how far we'll succeed, um, how good it will be, but we think it's one, we think we need to do something this year because there's a, a gap in the calendar and people want something to happen. But two, it just seems to make sense at the moment to start thinking how will we run events in the future because I think there's going to be less travel, certainly there's going to be virtually no travel this year. I think there'll be less travel next year. So how do you run a global or a regional conference next year? You know, will there be a state of the map next year? Um, and if there is, who knows? I mean, th this year is also going to be a virtual state of the map in, in July. Yeah. So, well, good luck. Keep us posted. Obviously, once you know the date, let us know. We'll put it in the, the Geomob newsletter and yeah. um, and get that out there. I'm curious how it goes. I guess that's a good point to wrap it up. I yep. mean, I guess all that's all that's left to say is, of course, if anyone has any feedback on the Geomob online that we had, if you haven't gotten to us yet, please, please send us your feedback. And hopefully, please join us at the next one, which will be on the 6th of May. And as said, we're still looking for a few speakers there. So if anyone wants to volunteer, please get in touch. And if you missed out on the first Geomob online, you can find the videos at thegeomob.com. Right, exactly, exactly. All right, well, stay healthy, everyone, and uh, see you soon. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future Geomop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.